Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Thursday evening, an evening where we will have the opportunity to just not talk about apologetics, but as Catholics, the apologetics of the Mass. And as I do every Thursday, I have Rob Sheridan joining me. Rob, it is great to have you another week. Wonderful to be back. Rob, this discussion on the Mass is one that is replete with so much insight, just not from sacred tradition, but from uh, sacred Scripture. And this is really the essence of why we have come here tonight, to focus in on why one Carol Stillmeyer would get away with saying scriptures are no more than liturgical documents. I, I, I love that line because it really puts into focus uh, the relationship between sacred scripture and the Mass. Now, this is a topic we have already talked about to some degree, uh, Rob. I remember we were talking about the words that come to us from Mark fourteen twenty four, where our Lord says, this is the blood of the New Testament. Now, we were talking about it within the t- context of sacred scripture, and how we think about New Testament, but certainly we can bring it back into play now, uh, that those words are very important for our study tonight, because ultimately what you have in that one verse, a verse that is uh, echoed, I believe, in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 11, verses 23 to 25, I think there, uh, one of the few times, if not the only time, Paul quotes uh, Jesus himself. So, uh, very important. And and what does he say? Well, that translation, the best rendering of that verse is Christ saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. And as we talked about, covenant, the Hebrew berith, uh, is translating the Greek diatheke, can also be translated uh, as testament, the Latin testamentum. So, When you look at that verse, what is Christ saying? This is the blood of the New Testament. I mean, how fascinating is that, Rob, that our Lord there in that pronouncement in the Last Supper in the upper room establishes the essence of the New Testament. And is it a book? Well, yes, of course the New Testament is a book. But is that what it was first in the mind of primitive Christianity? No, it was in fact the Eucharist, the body and blood poured out on the cross. Now, this is, this is a revelation of truth, Rob. So when I talk about primitive Christianity, don't get caught up thinking, uh, well, that's just something that's old-fashioned, because truth itself is never subject to time. Christ says, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. And so when he makes that pronouncement, it is very important for us uh, to appreciate those words for what they are. 
And this is why <laughs> Dr. Hahn says in the opening of chapter 8 of his book, Reasons to Believe... The Mass is saturated with the Bible, and the Bible is saturated within the Mass. Yes. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. It, it makes perfect sense. So with that, Rob, what can we say uh, in, in relationship to the Bible and the Mass? Well, let's first just look at the structure itself, generally speaking about where we see sacred scripture in the Mass. You go to Mass... Oh, where are you going to see sacred scripture? Well, the first reading is uh, most often an Old Testament reading. Sometimes you get a non-gospel uh, New Testament reading, the book of Acts, maybe an epistle, uh, and or even the book of Revelation. Uh, you have Psalms, uh, the recitation of the Psalms. And then in your second reading, what do you have? You have one of Paul's epistles which is going to bring illumination into the theme that comes to us from these readings. And then, of course, the gospel, the gospel itself from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, if you were to go to Mass each and every Sunday, Rob, you get the core, uh, core readings from sacred scripture, both old and new. If you go to Mass every day, if you were to go to Mass every day, you would get 75% of all of sacred scripture. It, it, it is rich. Now, I know that uh, for our listening audience, a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in different denominations, whether they are familiar with this, actually use this arrangement in their own services. Now, they don't always, they don't always read the Old Testament readings, but I do know, I've been to some services, Rob, where they will use the same epistle we use, they'll use the same gospel. Why? Because of the wise arrangement of order, right? We have already talked about a great deal, the importance of the unity of the two Testaments. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. So uh, ultimately, this kind of structure, just off the top, Rob, allows us to appreciate the importance of sacred scripture in the Mass. Yeah, well, and it's, it's not just in the structure. It's throughout. If, if I was John Madden, I could take a little telestrator and I could take you through... <laughs> every minute of the Mass and show you, all right, we've got some Scripture here, and boom, some Scripture over there. But um, let, let's just start at the top. The opening blessing comes from Matthew 28, 19. We have an apostolic greeting from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The Amen from 1 Chronicles 16, 36b. The Lord be with you from Luke 1, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, and Ruth 2, 4. Lord have mercy, Matthew 17, 50, 20, 31, and Psalms 123, verse 3. The Gloria, glory to God in the highest, Luke 2, 14, plus parts of Revelation. Alleluia from Revelation 19, 1 through 6, the book of Tobit, 13 and 18, verse, chapter 13, verse 18. Lift up your hearts, Lamentations 3, 41, the holy, 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 Revelations 4, 8, Isaiah 6, 3, Mark 11, 9 through 10, and Psalms 118, 26. The Eucharistic prayers come from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. Mark 14, verses 22 through 24. Luke 22, verses 17 through 20. The great, the great men from Revelation 5, 14. We get the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9. Through 13, peace be with you, John 14, 27. The Lamb of God from John 1, 29 and Revelation 5, 6. 
This is the Lamb of God from Revelation 19, 9. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, Matthew 8, 8. Go in peace, Luke 7, 50. And thanks be to God, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Yeah, and as Dr. Hahn notes, uh, Rob, add to these the congregational hymns whose lyrics are usually biblical, and you'll find that, short of just reading the Bible out for an hour, the Mass, in the end, couldn't get more biblical. And yet it does. In other ways, when you start getting into the Old Testament especially, when you start looking at their heavenly worship, the postures, you know, you can look at the way in which, you know, Aaron lifts his hands towards uh, the people and he blesses them in Leviticus 9, chapter 9, verse 22, and in many other places. Uh, How about kneeling? You know, in the New Testament, and kneeling is the prayer posture of mothers, rulers, lepers, and of course, Christ himself. When you start looking at the Bible in the Mass, what you begin to see, well, is what Dr. Hahn noted uh, in, in his opening lines, you know, that ultimately uh, the Mass is saturated with the Bible. And as you had also noted, as the Mass is saturated with the Bible and the Bible is saturated with the Mass, one forms and informs the other. Uh, this was the language of the early church. I'm looking down now, Rob, at some of those verses you were, you were noting as you were going through that list, that Eucharistic prayer. Yes, in fact, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. Uh, why would Paul have this be the lone citation of Jesus? Now, it's interesting, this past week, I got a question, actually, I've gotten this question now twice in the past two weeks, um, in relationship to Paul. Well, you know, Paul wasn't there. What's going on there, Joe? I mean, how could he know so much? Well, we've talked about this a little bit already. We have to appreciate the importance of who Saul was, right? He was the prized pupil of Rabbi Gamaliel, and he knew the Old Testament because God, Rabbi Gamaliel was, you know, he was the rabbi of rabbis. He has this dramatic conversion. He goes off for three years. He comes back as he records in his, uh, his letter to the Galatians. And then when he comes back after three years, what does he do? He spends time with Peter for 15 days. It, the Greek translation is him actually interviewing Peter. You know, so he has this muscle-bound intellect that he's, he's now uh, needing to reconcile with the person of Jesus Christ, the Paschal mystery, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And Rob, what strikes me is this is the only time he quotes him in these verses, the verses that we call the words of the institution of the Eucharist, that that the priest reads every time he says Mass in the Eucharistic prayer. How striking is that? When you start talking about The Mass is the New Testament. You can begin to appreciate this in light of the point we're making now that that Paul wants us to see that this is this just isn't mildly important. It is uh, it is quintessential. That being said, Rob, we see in the Book of Acts where we get the story of Saul, who obviously know now as Paul. We really. Uh, read about the early church community and how the early church community bore witness to the words of Jesus Christ. He said, do this in remembrance of me. What did they do? They said mass. We have this as early as we've talked about this before on this radio program. 
Acts 2.42. Uh, and then all throughout the book of Acts, they are doing what Christ told them to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Celebrate the Eucharist. From Acts 13.2 to Acts 27 to Acts 27.35, this is what they're doing. By the way, Rob, it is in Acts 13.2 that we get the word liturgy, you know, liturgia in the Greek. It actually means um, public worship, kind of highlights the essence of what the Mass is about. What what does the word Mass itself mean? It comes from that word missio, to, to be sent forth. We are to make public, you know, our worship. Everything that we do is to reflect uh, who we worship. And of course, this is, this is the essence of the Mass. Christ says, do this in remembrance of me, that we might go deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ. Re- reflecting on the Mass and reflecting on liturgy of, of the Old Testament, we can, we can really see how the liturgy in the Mass perfects the liturgy of the Old Testament, how it's taken that next step up, how we've done away with the perpetual sacrifices of animals for sin offerings by the rabbis. Rather, we have this once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross, once and for all time, present in the Eucharist. Yeah, and it's important that you note that, Rob, because Again, it's to highlight the deeper meaning of the Bible itself. You know, remember, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. What is the covenant? It is to enter into this relationship with God. And yeah, we think about covenant, we think not in terms of things, but persons. Not this is yours and this is mine. It's I am yours and you are mine. And what's so important to our discussion, Rob, as you talk about that is, what was the benchmark to covenant making in the Old Testament? One word, sacrifice. So now we have this all-sufficing sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, what was sacrificed? Well, as you progress through all of the major covenants, it was, what was the heart of sacrifice? It was the lamb, right? And so Christ has come as the new lamb of God who calls us unto himself. And this is what John wants us to focus in on. This is why he develops this theme of Christ as the Lamb of God. It's a funny thing that we don't think about certain verses and say, huh, what? What does John the Baptist say to Andrew and John when he sees Jesus? He's coming over the hill and there he is. Hey, look, guys. There's the Son of God. Hey, look, guys, there's the Prince of Peace. Hey, guys, look over there. There's the King of Kings. Nope. He says, there's the Lamb of God? The Lamb of God? Now, Rob, if you were to walk into this room and I had a buddy of mine next to me and I said, look, there's Rob Sheridan. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, that's Rob Sheridan. Good to meet you, Rob. Look. There's the Lamb of God. That should grab my buddy's attention. Did it? 2,000 years ago? As John spoke to Andrew and John, the beloved disciple, and say, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. And it's just not the language of Lamb of God. He says, Behold, that's another thing. Think about that. For anyone who walks through a door, when you say, Behold, I mean, that kind of language 
It stops you in your tracks. And John, the beloved disciple, wants to communicate this. He wants us to appreciate what Christ has come to essentially ratify. And that is the new covenant in his blood. The covenant, Rob, that he calls us to share in. The covenant, Rob, that he calls us to participate in. The covenant, Rob, he calls us to receive. Well, yeah, and... I mean, we, we get even deeper. We start talking about John's other book, the book of Revelations, and I, I meditate on the nuptial part of mm. the Mass, how Christ, the bridegroom, the wedding banquet that, that John talks about. And I, when I meditate on the Eucharist, I meditate on the church as bride and Christ as bridegroom. Mm-hmm. And how we, as bride, receive the bridegroom into our body. We, we take him in, in the Eucharist, his flesh and blood, and it transforms us. Mm-hmm. It makes us like him. The more I am with my wife, the more I try and emulate her best qualities, and the more I hope she tries to emulate my best qualities. Mm-hmm. Well, when we receive Jesus, he's only the best. He says. Yeah. supersedes everything else. Yeah. And this is how the church can be both the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Amen. Yeah, and John definitely wants us to, to, to see that very image that you are talking about. Of course, the great image that comes to us from Revelation 19, 7, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, in, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, we have him strategically employing this pedagogy or this teaching style by using certain words that would evoke all of this imagery from Genesis. For example, he starts off with in the beginning, you know, the Greek eniarche. It, it translates the Hebrew for in the beginning. We have uh, days, we have darkness, we have light, we have all of this very rich imagery that comes to us from the book of Genesis. What's more, Rob, if you follow closely, what comes from the side of man in the story of creation? Well, the woman. What does John want us to see? What comes from the side of man? The woman, who St. Paul calls the church. We've always have spoken of the church as Holy Mother Church, the bride, as you just spoke to it. And he uses the language of marriage because what you have in the Eucharist is this marital imagery, this nuptial imagery. Isn't it interesting that when you look at it closely, the first expression of uh, man is what in creation? Woman. What's the first expression of man in the Gospel of John? Woman. What have you to do with me? Right? He's speaking to Mary. And of course, Mary is the archetype to the church. So certainly, John wants us thinking on a deeper level. You know, I know maybe for some of us, we're thinking, gosh, that is kind of deep, maybe too deep. But the reality is, he probes, and he wants us to go there in his own analysis so that we might gain a deeper understanding of what it's all about, Rob, which is what? That the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. But it's more. It's also that we might share in his very suffering, that we might share in his very life. As 2 Peter 1.4 says, we're called to participate in his very divine nature. And this is what lies at the heart of his gospel in John 6. 
We've already spoken of the pronouncement he gives us uh, at the Last Supper in the upper room. This is my body. This is my blood, which is being poured out for you. Well, what does he say in John 6? I think he's pretty clear in what he says in John 6. Well, yeah. In in John 6, we have the great bread of life discourse. And he says over and over and over, if you want to live, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And his language escalates. He starts saying, gnaw on my flesh, chew on it, contemplate it, think about it. And this was revolting for the Jews of that day. There's a there's prescriptions against drinking blood, against eating human flesh. This is this would make them un, unclean. And so John 666, what does it say? And and I emphasize those numbers for a reason. What does it say? Many disciples left him because this teaching was too hard. Mm-hmm. Now, were Jesus to speak metaphorically, he would have said, Whoa, whoa, hey, hold on, you guys don't leave. I'm talking metaphorically. Yeah. Because otherwise, he would have been complicit in if people need to eat his, need to do this in order to be saved, and he lets them walk off yeah. without clarifying? Yeah. No, he just gets bolder, and he turns to those apostles, and he says, are, are you guys going to take off too? Mm. That's how important it is. And Peter says, where are we to go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter's not saying, oh, I totally get it. I understand it. He's just saying, I'm going to trust you. I am going to trust you, because you have the words of eternal life. And that's the essence of where we find the Mass in the Bible. Because as we talk about these old covenants and all of these oath-swearing ceremonies, where there's an offering, there's a sacrifice, there's a lamb being offered to God, an atonement for the sins of the people, Christ is giving himself as the one sacrifice, the all-sufficing sacrifice. And he says, what you just spoke to right there, Rob, eat of my flesh and drink my blood. Otherwise, you have no eternal life. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that the more disgusted they are with Jesus, the more graphic he is with the imagery. And I've, I've always loved that last usage of of eating in the plural, the trogon in the Greek, because it implies in the Greek rendering constant consumption, this kind of perpetual consumption. So yeah, he shifts from the estheo and phago from the, you know, like we would normally eat to the trogo to what you spoke to and so far as chewing and gnawing on animals, by the way, to trogon, this Greek which implies perpetual consumption. And I've always loved this for a footnote, Rob. If you were to do a little math, there are 346,000 priests in the world. We talked about this. 346,000 priests in the world. Yeah. 346,000 priests are a lot of priests. Now, let's start breaking down the math. Hours, minutes, and seconds. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means this, that every second of every day, at least four hosts are being consecrated. God is not a liar. (laughs) When he says that for all eternity, there will be the marriage supper of the lamb, he means it literally every second of every day. The language of eternal banquet is used, Rob. 
that's what I call an eternal banquet. When it dawned on me that you break down the math, you can get that for a figure. Four hosts being consecrated every second of every day. It's no wonder our earth still sits on its proper axis, you know, because these sacrifices hold it up. And this is just, this is God's divine genius. Well, Joe, the the Mass, I, I really view it as, as for our faith as, as the heart of the body of Christ. We go in, blood cells, dry, empty, drained, with nothing left. We go in, we are filled up with new life by the body of Christ, by his word, by his sacrifice, and then we are sent out mm-hmm. to spread that life. The more you go to Mass, the more you are that little blood cell going back mm-hmm. to the heart and spreading out the life of Christ. Yeah. Go to Mass often, receive Christ, and go out and spread the gospel yeah. everywhere you go. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a, um, there's a key passage here I wanted to make note of, Rob, as, as we wrap up, and it's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, where Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And that one bread, Rob, is the bread of Jesus Christ. We just got done with the story of the road to Emmaus this past Sunday. And is there not a more beautiful story to tell from sacred scripture that highlights the essence of the mass in the Bible? Here you have these two disciples on the road to Emmaus or on the walk to Emmaus, call it what you will. And they come up against this person and they don't know who he is, but we know the story. He in time reveals himself as this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And when did they come to discover who he was? When they broke bread with him. And what did they say? Were our hearts not burning? Were our hearts not burning when he was breaking open scriptures? What was he doing? Well, he was breaking open how he he is a new Moses. What was he probably doing, Rob? He was showing them how he is the new Lamb of God, the fulfillment of every hope, of every dream, and every wonder. And what did they say? Were our hearts not burning when he opened up sacred scriptures for us? And they saw, they saw him for who he was in the breaking of the bread. And this is the great lesson that comes to us from the road to Emmaus. That when we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, we will see him for who he is. And what do they say? Stay with us, Lord. They said at Emmaus, stay with us, Lord. And so we say today, stay with us, Lord. John uh, makes note in his opening chapter, what is it, 114, chapter 1, verse 14, that the flesh dwelt among us. The Greek there is tabernacleus. God pitched his tent, and this is what he does in the Eucharist. He remains with us so that we might see God for who he is, which is an incredible gift, Rob, an incredible gift. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.